This is episode number 30 with Aditya Mathur, Managing Director of Elevate BC. Welcome to the Masters of Cashflow podcast. My name is Andrew Senduk, a former banker turned tech entrepreneur. And in each episode, I interview the movers and shakers of the venture capital and investment space in Southeast Asia, with the only goal to help you discover how to raise more capital, build better companies, and to give you a better understanding of the people behind the biggest funds in the region. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. Now let's get started. All right, beautiful people, welcome to a new day, a new episode. Uh, and again, I'm uh, super excited uh, to sit across uh, Aditya Matur. And I really have to say, uh, it would be so much nicer if we could sit like actually, you know, face to face in a cafe, because I just know that our energies would jam, you know, even though we only like uh, did this pre-interview one time, but I just, I just know it would be like that. Uh, Aditya, um, if, if I look at, at your background, if I look at your journey so far, I see like a red line, which is kind of like biz dev, kind of like business development uh, with different organizations in different parts of the world. Uh, and I love the fact that you've also been a co-founder uh, of a, a startup, Flourish Chemicals, which was a biodiesel startup. Love to hear more about that. Um, after that, you did executive roles in uh, different companies, which both were acquired. So I think that that alone is already an interesting story. Uh, and now you are investor, <laughs> you are MD uh, of Elevate VC, uh, early stage deep tech VC fund, uh, focusing on verticals like smart vehicles, medtech, and complex computing. Aditya, I'm so happy that you're here. How's, uh, how's life on your side? Hey, Andrew, thanks for having me. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. Wish I was uh, sitting with you in a cafe in Bali. <laughs> <laughs> that would be so good how, how is everything on your side like I, we were just talking a bit about it before i pressed the record button but uh, but things are things are heating up it's, it's busy on your end yeah uh, you know i think um given what we do which is uh and you know like it's clearly pointed out uh, very deep tech investments at very early stages uh we're starting to see a lot of really good very high quality uh, early stage companies um, that are starting to spring out of uh, Singapore and Southeast Asia. And uh, this definitely seems to be more of an appetite to take risks in the space, mm. i.e. set up your own uh, company. Yeah. And B, we're starting to see a lot more folks getting serious in uh, the later stage rounds uh, to whom some of our portfolio companies get fed too. So, um, so we're seeing a lot of activity, a lot of acquisitions, a lot of investments, um, in our space, and uh, and and that means we are both uh, very happy, excited, but also very very busy right now. Yeah, that's that, that's only a good thing. That's only a good thing. Adit, I mean, uh, again, uh, just looking at kind of like your journey, it's been uh, a lot of different flavors around in the journey. But what got you? What got you eventually into the VC space? Uh, you know, looking back from where you started and where you're at now. Uh, so so. Andrew, if you look uh, back in my career, I've always been in tech. So I studied engineering. I've, uh, I've only worked in tech um, and always, uh, you know, with, within companies that are today called deep tech. So I was in semiconductors. Uh, you're right. I set up my own biodiesel company. Um, and then I moved into IoT, uh, which was sold as software as a service. And this was before IoT was even coined a thing, as, a as thing. an acronym. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and... Um, and the one thing that ran through all of it was, uh, you're right, there was a lot of business development, uh, but I started off my career as an engineer. I designed, uh, I was part of the R&D team for semiconductors. I helped build manufacturing lines for automotive uh, module plants. Um, and that, that was my background. We sold into 
uh, autonomously because we sold into medtech both from a hardware perspective when i was in semiconductors and from a software perspective when uh, when i was setting up jasper for asia pack um, and when uh, when we exited both those companies uh, i was already doing a bit of angel investing and i realized that uh, what singapore and southeast asia really needed was a very focused uh, vc that could look at deep tech and Fortunately for me, that happens to be my passion. Uh, when you talk about business development, really what I was doing was looking at uh, core technologies that were being built within the, the deep tech companies that, that I was a part of, you know, in an operational role, and seeing how we could uh, leverage those technologies into multi-million dollar revenue markets for ourselves. Mm. And uh, you know, to me, that's, that's what I love doing. Uh, that's why I love rolling up my sleeves strategizing, coming up with pricing strategies, coming up with go-to-market strategies, and, uh, and really helping uh, you know, groundbreaking technologies enter into markets that never existed before. Um, and, and so I've taken some of that passion. And uh, the reason Elevate came into existence was because I wanted to help founders do that. Uh, you know, initially, it was uh, just with, uh, with my experience and helping them or my networks and helping founders grow, but uh, quite soon or quite quickly, I realized that they also needed a bit of firepower in terms of capital. Uh, and deep tech requires a very different type of uh, capital. And therefore, we decided to set up Elevate. That's, um, it sounds like a dream, uh, a dream journey, right? Because I think number one, uh, what is definitely clear is, is your passion for, for, the, for the field, right? Your passion for the industry itself. Uh, but number mm -hmm. two, I think combining combining your helping entrepreneurs versus giving them gunpowder or giving them access to gunpowder, I, I think the ideal yes. the ideal <laughs> scenario, right? But but let's go let's go a few steps back. Um, Co-founder mm -hmm. uh, Flourish Chemicals, like what? How, how did that? Is that still going on? Did you sold that? Did that stop? Like what was what was kind of like the the journey there? So for the day, um, I had invested as an angel into uh, into a group of. Um, scientists and engineers that had come up with the technology to make uh, biodiesel uh, using a very low using a very low capex solution and the catalytic converter wow. and it reached a point where again the technology was i thought uh, fantastic and and pretty groundbreaking uh where it, and, and you know i won't bore you with uh, all the, the <laughs> all the technical skills <laughs> yeah <laughs> but uh it, it reached a point where we realized that someone had to really step out and help take it or commercialize this product yeah. uh, and sell it uh, you know, into the automotive industry, sell it to uh, big oil at the time. And um, that's where I decided to step off uh, my uh, you know, uh, operational role at uh, other tech companies yeah. and, uh, and really take this on full time. Uh, so that's, that's how we pulled out the technology from uh, a university setting or from an R&D setting into wow. a company and into trying to sell it. Wow. Um, unfortunately for us, uh, a lot of governments changed their policies um, when it came to biodiesel. And given the new methods that we'd have to use to get to the market, which included um, significant middlemen or you know selling into big oil, it suddenly didn't look as profitable uh, a venture as it, it used to when we first set it up. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and so we ended up uh, uh, selling out the IP rights to continue to manufacture this technology, and that's where I exited. Got it. 
Got it, got it, got it. Well, I think that's that's only uh, an example of, uh, you know, sometimes you start something with uh, with the big uh, the big hockey stick or you know the big dreams, and but along the way things happen, and uh, I think it's just more about moving on, building building new things, yes. building new things. Yeah. And, and and I think that yeah, that's exactly. also the ideal scenario because after after flourish you kind of like took on executive roles, right? Within. I within uh, early stage deep tech yeah. companies. So yes, yeah. so, so after that, uh, you know, I went back into the world of semiconductors. I helped uh, look after global sales and BD strategy uh, for a semiconductor company, which rightly pointed out was acquired by Infineon for 3 billion. Uh, and then I moved out to uh, join a company called Jasper Wireless, where I helped set up Asia Pack, yeah. um, which was then acquired by Infineon, uh, sorry, by Cisco, Cisco. By Cisco yeah. for, uh, 1.4 billion. So yes, not too shabby. It was, it was a good journey. Both not, too shabby. Yeah. Yeah. not too shabby. Yeah. No, but, but but I think the beautiful thing there is is, is that uh, so you joined these early stage startups. So so the startups were in the field that you already are passionate about, but you joined them as quote unquote an executive, right? I mean as an as an employee. Or, yeah. or, or yeah. were you also part of the of the founding team back then? No, so in both cases uh, I joined as an executive uh, instead of as a co-founder. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's absolutely and that, yes. And that's I. And I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, because we always have this ideal scenario of you know, I need to build something. Uh, then I go IPO. I or there's an M and A. I get some gunpowder myself. Get some cash, and then I start right. But but in your case, then yeah, I mean, going through these two uh, M and As or you know these these yeah quite big acquisitions right by by big names is yeah. is is already yep. an adventure in itself. Like how like how was that? How was that to be to be on that on that side? You know. Um... Two times I, I even, like two lucky. times. Yeah, yes. So, you know, quite bluntly, Andrew, before I had the gunpowder to invest, I was investing with my feet. So I'd, I'd go into companies where, you know, I thought I could really add yeah. value um, yeah. in, in an executive role uh, or in an operational role. Um, and, uh, and then after I made a few pennies with uh, <laughs> both companies being acquired uh, and a few other angel investments that I'd made, yeah. um, I decided to take this on full time. Uh, but in all these cases, I was investing with my feet and now with, with a bit of capital. Yeah. Um, and uh, in, you know, in all these cases, I was looking to see how I could help grow these companies exponentially. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's where my expertise comes in. Yeah. Um, and you know, it, it's one of the things I tell anyone who will listen, it's better to be, uh, you know, both from a financial perspective, uh, as well as from a from an enjoyment perspective, it's better to be on a rocket ship that's going to uh, eventually be sold, uh, you know, for multi-billion dollars. Yeah. I know today there are a whole bunch more of unicorns, but back then, especially with these two acquisitions, there weren't so many at the time. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think it's far better to be on a rocket ship like that than to try and come up with something completely new and end up being uh, a $20 million company. Uh, you know, yeah. so what is yeah, so what is it like, you know, for example, at Jasper, um, I'd have to say the folks that I worked with were some of the smartest people I've worked with in my life across mm. the world. Mm. Uh, I don't know how we managed to get some of the best and brightest and most uh, energized folks. I mean, I do know. I, I think the leadership had a lot to do with it. Uh, but we were you know, a very hungry, very driven organization filled with super sharp people that really wanted to go out and make a difference. Mm. Uh, you know, people talk about uh, or people throw around making a dent in the universe uh, quite freely. But, uh, you know, I will say in, in organizations like Jasper, where we grew like a rocket ship, uh, that was truly the case. 
Yeah. Uh, we had, uh, you know, people that really wanted to make the difference. And, you know, I count some of them uh, as some of my close friends today. And, uh, and interestingly enough, I've uh, invested in companies that uh, have either been started by or have some of the folks from Jasper and International Rectifier, the, the semiconductor company, yeah. uh, at the helm. So that's, senior that's management amazing. roles or co-founders. Yeah, so that's kind of like the Jasper yeah. Mafia. The Jasper Mafia is now also... Uh... Uh, starting like just like there's the PayPal mafia and I and I was just reading an article about the Grab mafia. No, but but I I love yes, the yes. I, I I love the niche right because I, I I oftentimes have these discussions with especially deep tech investors. It's it's really a niche in a niche right where you say like okay yeah, I'm 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 doing not the the normal B two C easy to understand uh, uh, concepts, but I go I go into a bit a bit more thinking right. There's a, there, like the entrepreneur itself would be a scientist like. Uh, Coming from the BD side, or you know where, where BD is a, is a big thing for you, growth. I mean, expansion. What do you think is a big difference when you talk about, let's say, deep tech companies, and then looking at their expansion, looking at their growth versus a quote-unquote uh, commercial uh, e-com play or fintech play uh, that also needs to grow? Because at the end of the day, it will always be about someone or an organization buying your service or your product, right? Yeah. So. Actually, Andrew, that's that's uh, a question or an answer that I'm I'm quite passionate about because <laughs> I think yeah. it's simply different. Yeah, right? and uh, and and just to pick up on a comment you made just now was uh, or earlier in in your statement was we invest in things that are very different from a typical VC. Yeah, um, I would actually argue, and and by the way, I agree with you in today's day and age. Yeah, but I would argue that actually deep tech is the foundation or the historical root of where venture capital came from. Yeah. So where VC started was in the 70s, 80s, 90s, where yeah. companies like you know, hardware, software companies were being born. And that was truly the new technology of yeah. the era. Mm. So that's where Intel came from. That's where HP came from. That's where you know, Apple and Genentech came from. And uh, really, I feel like by investing in deep tech, we're going back to our roots. Of venture so capital, true. going back to the roots of venture so true. capital. So true. Um, and then to answer the second part of your question, which is how does it differ from mm. uh, you know the mentality of how you invest and yeah. how you go to market? It is completely different. There's uh, you know I would say that there's a, a, a very interesting skill, or you know there's a very unique skill set in being able to invest in B two C companies, um, which are challenging and you know I, I i can tell you up front i don't claim to be even close to an expert in that you need to understand how you know customer acquisition you need to understand uh, not just when to invest but also when to exit yeah and uh, you know those smart investors that knew when to exit a we work for mm, example yeah or uh, or an uber or an oyo rooms uh, but you had to time that right if yeah. not you were you know you lost uh, an incredible amount of value in your mm. Uh, in your investments, yeah, and uh, and when you invest in that space, its execution is just really key. You've got to out execute and out uh, and out raise capital than anyone else in your yep. space. Yeah, uh, and quite often, winner takes all. Um, now, if you look at the B two B model, you've really got to understand uh, industry cycles. You've got to understand who your customers are and what they're looking for. Um, you know, in in automotive. You're looking at four to five year sales cycles. Mm. Medtech, you're looking at again very elongated sales cycles. 
what makes people move and what makes uh, or what makes enterprises move what makes them move quickly mm. uh, why will they you know uh, let you put your shoe in the door yeah exactly uh, how do you price right uh, how do you make uh, proof of concepts work and have people pay you for them uh, as opposed to just free services that last for years uh, and now those are things that I have expertise in, or I should say at least experience in, yeah. uh, that has been successful in the past. And those are things that you know, I think I can add to the companies that we invest in. Mm. Now, again, a big difference is if you look at uh, you know, deeper tech companies, the chances of being acquired for the, te for the technology that they develop is quite high, besides just being able to be a rocket ship in terms of revenues. Yeah. Uh, so that, you know, that's a big difference from consumer. Mm. But you have to be willing to take, uh, you know, the return's a bit more durable. So you're yeah. not expecting the company to be a rocket ship in the first two years. Yeah. It will probably take three to five years to convert from, you know, a, from a product to, uh, or, or rather from a technology to uh, a product that's being used across the board by uh, the largest Fortune 500 companies. Yeah, I think that's such a good difference as well, right? Where, where B2C is maybe more, uh, on the surface, you, you see revenue, you see GMVs, uh, where mm -hmm. in your space is going to be, I think there's emphasis is much more on IP, right? It's much more, I think the, the legal yes. around IP is, 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 is much more important, I'd say, uh, especially in the due diligence side. <clears throat> mm -hmm. How does that relate to uh, exit opportunities? So, I mean... Again, B2C, it's, it's, very, it's very easy to understand in that sense, right? Because uh, VCs or investors will say like, okay, you know what? Uh, GMV needs to increase, uh, I don't know, 200% per month. And uh, by uh, right. and, and five, and five years from now, uh, your email database should be like 5 million people, uh, et cetera, et cetera. How, how is that from a deep tech perspective? Because you're not so much driving on those type of vanity metrics, right? It, it's a much mm -hmm. deeper level of... A KPI, so to say, for a company to, to grow in value? So I would say in deep tech, you have a couple of drivers. Um, so you're absolutely right, Andrew. You're building a moat around your technology with your IP, with your trade secrets, uh, mm. etc. But when you exit, you are, you are measured on two different metrics. One is absolutely the ability to execute and the revenues, which you know, could make your, uh, which, which really drives a large section of or a large portion of how you're valued uh, exactly. in terms of multiples of revenue exactly uh, which works the same as consumer but there's the additional driver of a technology which could completely disrupt the market that you are uh, addressing um, and so no one wants to be the next uh, an often cited example is kodak no one mm. wants to be the next no. kodak yeah you know which missed the digital uh, camera yeah. wave or yeah um, you know, the next BlackBerry, uh, and, and I don't mean to dump on either of these two companies, but you know they, they missed the opportunity of yeah. the next technology, you know, the next technology wave, and uh, and therefore, if you have an incredible technology that, that can disrupt the space meaningfully, uh, you will have some very large incumbents that will want to acquire you for and, and see the value in acquiring you purely for your technology as well. Mm. And so, obviously, you know, the, the magical situation is where you have an incredible technology that can disrupt the way incumbents work today, yeah. plus uh, huge and fast-growing revenues. Yeah. So that's, you know, that, that's, that's what you're looking for 
in, yeah. in, in an ideal situation. In an ideal situation, which brings me to the, what I call kind of like your, your radar, right? Your investment radar. Because I think your first point where you say like, okay, does this technology have the potential to disrupt, you know, a status quo within, I don't know, fueling or within, uh, within, within the vehicle industry? Mm-hmm. What are kind of your, what are your, uh, what are the things that you look at? You know, when you when you look at this technology, you see a pitch deck, and I know, for example, it's it's in the fueling industry. Uh, when because of course everyone everyone will every pitch deck will say like, okay, we will you know we're gonna disrupt we're gonna disrupt disrupt the fuel fueling <laughs> industry. We're gonna disrupt the the smart the smart vehicles industry. But what yes. are kind of like your key points that you look at, you know, which, which would trigger your interest into, uh, into looking into that startup? So for sure, we want to see a huge and fast growing industry that, mm. uh, one that, that the company is trying to uh, get into and disrupt. Um, our, our technical DD is a lot more detailed than most. Uh, so, you know, anything that you put on your deck, uh, we, we will go in and, get experts or do the due diligence ourselves, uh, you know, in, in a pretty detailed manner. Um, and we want to see what that motors, you know, why is your technology so valuable? Mm. Uh, and then, you know, the other important bit is, and quite often we invest in pre-revenue companies and we like to bring them to potential customers around the globe that could be their biggest customers again around the globe. And, uh, and we want to make sure that, they actually have a product that the market needs. Uh, you know, to, to, to pick out a few examples, um, we can see that the automotive industry, as it moves towards more electrification, more autonomy, is looking to improve the level of safety for passengers, drivers mm. and passengers. Mm. Um, and in, in, in that space, there's a near-field sensing company called Preact, which is one of ours, where we invest in the pre-seed round. That was our first check where they do just that. And you can see regulators moving in that direction and, um, and uh, different car companies voluntarily moving in that direction as well. And uh, you know, obviously this, this company has its technology roots from DARPA and has a very unique way of solving the problem. Uh, so we love that. Or you take another one of our portfolio companies called uh, Meadow, which is looking to disrupt the way uh, radiology is done by using ultrasound, which is the oh, least wow. invasive methods, right? We're looking at uh, you know, hip dysplasia, thyroid issues. Yeah. Um, or, you know, uh, more recently, we just invested in a company called Celevate, which uh, creates, um, it's almost like a, a, a globule-shaped catalyst made out of natural vegetarian products that goes into cell-based meat manufacturing uh, and makes the bioreactors far more efficient and, uh, and produces higher quality uh, end products. Oh, wow. So those are the sorts of things we love, you know, love to invest in because we can see all these markets are growing at a rapid pace around the yeah. world. Yeah. Uh, and we like to invest in, you know, in technologies that will significantly disrupt how any of that is done. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what we love. Or, you know, and, and I could go on and on. You know, yeah, I'll just yeah. pick three examples. But yeah. uh, there's... There's a billion, or at least within our portfolio, there's at least twenty. <laughs> that, that, that is that is so amazing, and and it, it reminds me a bit of of, of the, the the topic of network minds, right? 
because uh, like like you mentioned, I mean, you're an engineer, so there's there's like I definitely even when I hear you talk, there's a lot of passion for for just technologies in general. But but mm -hmm. you know these things like um, I don't know, we talk about radiology or uh, uh, or or something that could be used in the let's say alternative alternative meat uh, uh, industry are actually very new industries also for yourself, right? So how do you yes. how do you uh, when it comes down to DD or when it comes down to to yeah, to checking checking these technologies, how val how how feasible these these technologies are. How do you make sure that even because these industries are kind of like out of or outside of your your quote unquote experience, right? How do you make mm -hmm. sure then that when you make that investment decision, that there's a solid decision or solid uh, opinion about these about mm -hmm. these startups? So Andrew, that's a great question. You know, obviously, uh, we don't know everything about everything. Mm. And uh, we, we, we are very uh, clear about the things that we don't understand and that we need to understand better. Um, a, I like to think that, uh, you know, we have a team of uh, folks that bring uh, expertise in specific areas, uh, whether it is biomed, whether it is uh, autonomous vehicles. Um, but then we have... A, we're fortunate to have a huge panel of uh, formal and informal experts that uh, that work with us. Mm. Um, in some cases, uh, you know, the, the 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 driving force for some of the experts that we bring in uh, are because they work for for a larger enterprise that could end up being customers yeah. uh, of yeah. the company we're potentially looking at. Mm. Uh, so in those cases, it ends up being a win-win. So they help us with our DD. Uh, you know, with uh, with a huge big R and D team <laughs> looking at uh, this at, at the company that we're going to potentially invest in, uh, and and share their findings with us, and the company that we're about to invest in gets gets a good potential customer as well. Uh, so so we try and uh, you know marry that approach as much as we can, and uh, you know we feel fortunate that uh, you know th there are such companies that uh, trust us to do at least the first level of DD before bringing it to them. Yeah, and trust uh, us to bring you know some of the most exciting technologies to them. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's amazing because uh, yeah, like you said, um, you don't know what you don't know, right? So you need to have the right people yes. or the right the right panel around you to at least make make a proper objective decision if it's if it's right or not. Talking about the objectivity uh, and and mm -hmm. you know I think because investments and being objective sometimes are kind of like. Um, not on the same side, right? Because uh, the mm -hmm. even investors are have emotions, right? Even investors are people, uh, and people sometimes tend to flock where there are many other people, right? And I call this always yeah. the, fo the FOMO feeling uh, amongst investors, and we've seen it a lot. I mean, you mentioned we work. Uh, I, I think there's there's many examples uh, of 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 investors flocking to a business opportunity uh, where there's more there's more an incentive to just be there instead of I'm convinced that this is a good investment. Yeah. How do you, how do you, oh, one, is that even within the deep tech, is there also such type of, you know, okay, these are happening, happening industries within deep tech where everyone is flocking towards? Uh, if so, how do you keep your investment decisions as objective as possible? Uh, so you're not get caught up in you know the newest trend, the newest trend within within deep tech. Uh, so, 
Andrew, you know, if you, if you look at our core thesis and our core verticals, they haven't changed, uh, no matter what's happening out in the rest of the market. We continue to believe that, and, and I think that's important for a deep tech investor. You have to be very specific and mm. you have to understand your technologies extremely well. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you touched upon three of our verticals. The fourth one that, uh, you know, we also have is novel materials and advanced engineering. Wow. Uh, so any of the examples that I've shared with you, anything that we do only fall into these four categories. Now, you know, crypto is the latest buzzword out there. There is a lot of money to be made on crypto. Yeah. But we will not invest in crypto because that's not where our strength is. Yeah. Um, same way we want to invest in consumer. That's not where our strength is. Yeah. Uh, we, we know and understand our strengths uh, because we have in-house knowledge. Uh, because I, I personally, and you know, the rest of the team comes with, uh, you know, like I said, a lot of other different skills that complement mine. But my skills are in these few areas because that's where I've worked in. And so I have deep operational experience yep. in these verticals uh, to start with. And then I have you know, a large uh, network of experts that I can lean on uh, to ask questions to. So... So for us, we've always stayed within our lane. We don't, we don't get FOMO. <laughs> we don't go after NFTs and and no. after, uh, you know, and after crypto. But within our verticals, I do believe that uh, both materials as well as data are bringing in the biggest changes at a faster pace than we've ever seen mm. uh, in you know in human existence, mm. and mm. we want to back that. So where there's a technology that can enable certain uh, new ideas, uh, we, we like to invest in those technologies. Uh, for instance, uh, there's a company that we've invested in called UNL. Uh, UNL does uh, geolocation, basically mapping at a centimeter cubed uh, across all three axes. Uh, and the way they've done it, they can be used for various blockchain applications. Wow. So while we're not you know, jumping towards yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, the NFTs of the world, we recognize that some of the core technologies that we do understand and do back uh, have the ability to be the base layer for any of these new uh, you know, formal grabbing applications that uh, can be built on top of it. Yeah. Uh, so we, you know, we stick to our lane. We know what we, you know, we, we like to focus on just the core things that we know, have experience in, know how to sell, feel like we could sell if we were in yeah. that, you know, an operating role within that exactly. company. Exactly. And, um, and then, you know, we, we, we don't get swayed by, you know, formal industries, to use your word, or to yeah. use your terminology. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, often things get quite frothy as well. Very, uh, so we're very not frothy. So we're not frothy game either. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That, that, that's very good which brings me to uh to let's say the backers of the fund right so uh, i totally understand your your passion i understand you know your experience that's also why you invest in these verticals uh so so how does it work with the lps right i mean um uh oftentimes i have these discussions right where an lp is allocating his uh, his, his money into something in an asset class in this case it could be you know vcs it could be vcs specifically mm -hmm. in deep tech what is, is there a different is there a different expectation regarding you know ROIs because it is deep tech and because there's not per se a hockey stick curve within 12 months? Uh, 
or or or, or how, how what is their risk appetite? Let's say what is the risk appetite of the LPs that invest mm-hmm. or that back deep tech funds? Uh, so that's a fairly uh, nascent uh, group of people for mm. Southeast Asia. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not in the rest of the world. Um, or I should say not in the West and not in China. Um, not in North America, not in China. Mm. Uh, so, so, you know, I think we're all going through a bit of a learning curve. Uh, but there are a few key differences that we're seeing. So, uh, you know, if you allocate capital as, as a large uh, LP, you do want to have, and, you know, I strongly advise you to invest in consumer tech as well. Mm. But mm. you need to balance your portfolio out with D-Tech. Um, and deep tech is, is very, very different. So uh, as, as we pointed out, some of the differences earlier, right? So you need to be willing to stay for a slightly longer period. But that doesn't mean your ROIs should be any less. And actually, you should expect far better MOICs. Mm. So you should expect far better returns on multiple. Um, you know, we do have a bit of a downside protection because you can sell a company for their technology, not yeah. just their revenue. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, right? Uh, but you should see the hockey stick growth instead of within a year where winner takes all, you should be able to see it within three to five years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then again, it's not necessarily a winner takes all situation. You know, the top two or three or five technologies in a certain space will all win and could all win very big. Yeah. Um, you know, a bad example is LIDAR companies where you've had 14 LIDAR companies in the last 12 months, uh, you know, across a billion dollars wow. um, valuation. Uh, and all of them have, you know, a slightly different uh, take on how a LIDAR should be built. Uh, we, just to be clear, have not invested in LIDAR because we do think that market is quite frothy and, uh, you know, we think that there are other better technologies out there uh, that would, will compete with LIDAR eventually. And, and therefore, we, we don't understand the valuations. But the point is, it, that is deep tech. Mm. And, you know, there's, there's space for 14 incredible technologies from around the world uh, to get, you know, unicorn status. Uh, so our take is uh, for almost every company that we invest in, there could be three or four unicorns in that space. Uh, and if not, we probably won't invest. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah so, so, you know, going back to the, L- you know, going back to the LPs, you want to have tremendous returns. That goes without saying. Uh, the the other big thing is you want to invest in things that create a huge impact and especially as people become more aware of sustainability i don't think this uh you know the recycle and uh you know reused uh campaigns while very important are going to cause or are going to create the 10 to 30x improvements that we need Mm. in how we go about our daily lives yeah uh, to hit you know, the, the kind of SDG um, goals that we have for 2030 or even now from the recent, uh, you know, uh, summit. Uh, for that, you need deep tech. Mm. So we find that uh, investors with a slightly longer uh, investment appetite that are looking for outsized returns, you know, far bigger than, you know, instead of just having one or two companies that return a fund yeah. that, are, that are looking for, you know, almost every company to do well. And well, a few to just yeah, yeah, go yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And third, but very importantly, uh, LPs that are looking to uh, invest in companies, you know, through a fund that will have huge impacts on sustainability. Mm. Uh, those are the sorts of LPs that uh, 
we find uh, gravitate towards us. That's that's so amazing, and and I love that. So so actually, I mean, just to kind of like uh, give my interpretation of what you just said. So investing in deep tech is almost like you're also hedging a bit your 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 downside risk because, like you said, at the end of the day, you could still sell that technology, right? And even though maybe it's not a unicorn company, or but there's still a lot of value in that. So it's not like a boom or bust type of uh, scenario, which oftentimes or you know sometimes happens within the BTC space. Well, we like to think that it's a boom, but not quite bust. Yeah, but. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. A boom, but not quite a bust. Well, but that's, but that's, that's. I, I've never looked at it that way. But, but I, I think, yeah, that there is some type of hedge because, yeah, there's still IP, right? There's still IP, yeah. Um, yeah. which is, which is very interesting. And, and, and I mean, coming back a bit to your, back to your fund. I mean, uh, we talked about it a bit pre pre interview, but so fund one has been fully deployed, or is it is about? You still have some gunpowder left. Uh, we have a little bit of gunpowder left. Okay. Um, so, uh, you know, thanks, Andrew. I'm, I'm going to shamelessly plug. And oh, you, this is the place. This is the place. I did. This is the place. You plug. <laughs> you plug, man. So we, we, we are going to raise fund two uh, next year. Uh, awesome. You know, uh, hopefully earlier next year rather than later. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, we're seeing, uh, like we started talking about in the beginning of this chat, uh, we're starting to see a lot of really high quality deep tech companies uh, science come out of this region. Uh, some of them are from, you know, uh, Tech 2.0. Uh, even if, you know, it's the data scientists that were sitting in consumer companies, but you know, using their knowledge and coming out wow. and building yeah. real deep tech companies as well. Um, and we're starting to see more and more, uh, to your point, LPs starting to get more educated about mm. what impact means, what sustainability means. Yeah. Uh, and and when I say impact, I don't just mean from an SDG perspective, but how do you create a whole new industry the way. Uh, let's say an Intel or an Apple did yeah. you know, in the early days with yeah. computer and, and later on with phones. Um, and you're starting to see investors that want to participate in uh, in industry creating companies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and those are the folks that again are you know that that like talking with us. And so uh, you know I'm I'm happy to say that we've uh, we've already had uh, you know some very interesting oh, some some good interest. Uh, into uh, a potential fund too already. That's amazing. Uh, which which makes me quite excited. That is uh, that is super exciting. It's super exciting. And um, talking about the expansion of LPs, right? Because like you said, I think more and more people mm -hmm. will will see uh, see the benefit. And I think what you said, like uh, LPs that are interested in actually um, being part of creating a total new industry, uh, yeah. is a uh, yeah, is is I can imagine it's quite an exciting exciting journey to be part of. So 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 fund number two, you say like uh, let's say Q one next year, you're uh, aiming to uh, to launch that fund. <clears throat> that's that's the plan. Yes. Right. Okay. That's uh that's amazing. Is there anything else you want to say about fund number two? Because you, you still you can you can if you want. <laughs> um, yeah, you know if if um, if folks out there are listening, um, you know we are. To the best of my knowledge, uh, one of the few, if not uh, the first, uh, deep tech only private fund that you can invest into. Uh, we're very early stage. Uh, we like industry defining categories or industry creating categories is uh, is where we like to invest, and we're very very focused. So we only invest in four core verticals that uh, we think we really understand well and that uh, we can uh, truly roll up our sleeves and help the founders uh, expand into 
uh, not just the capital. So, so that's that's our thirty second plug. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. So, so looking at, at the entrepreneurs that you invest in, the entrepreneurs that you work with, uh, oftentimes are uh, PhDs, are scientists, are are actually techie people, right? I mean, like you said, maybe these are data scientists that have been part of another startup and now launching their own. What do you think, right? Because oftentimes these this this genre, this genre of people are very much into the craft, you know, into the craft of of what they're doing. Um, but of course, building a business does not just require craft, uh, knowledge, or passion for what you're doing. It, it requires a lot of more things, uh, like selling and stuff. Absolutely. Um, what What do you see? What do you see now in, in let's say the founders that you that you meet, the pitches, the pitch decks that you see, on the quality the quality of uh, of entrepreneurs within the deep tech space? Because, well, I think number one, I can imagine it's, it's, a, it's a smaller pool than, than the average B2C, uh, you know, concepts that you see. Uh, and then the breed that is within deep tech is oftentimes very academic. It's very science, it's a lot of scientists, right? Is there, is there a lot of, you know, a coaching on the entrepreneurial side, on the business building side, on the business development side for, for these type of entrepreneurs or, um, yeah, or, or or how do you how do you kind of like uh, help these uh, these these this pedigree uh, to become like you know monster monster entrepreneurs and uh, and and builders? So so honestly, Andrew, I think there's a bit of a misconception on uh, on the quality and types of founders that that we get to see. Um, and and here's where I think it it takes a really high quality team to set up a deep tech startup. Uh, absolutely, you have uh, you know you have uh, you know PhDs and and scientists that set up companies. Uh, some of them are excellent at businesses at well. The, you know, not all of them, but mm. you know, there's a good number. Uh, whereas there are some that just like, as you rightly pointed out, focus on their craft. But it takes a team, and you need you need uh, the folks that can really develop the technology, or develop the data science, or develop the new materials. Uh, but you also need the folks that can sell. Mm. Uh, and understand product and can and can build big companies and know how to price and know how to go out to market. Mm. Um, the the trend I'm seeing uh, is is that uh, you know quite often the founders that we end up investing in um, the at least a portion of the leadership is uh, as old and as ugly as I am. <laughs> I've been around, <laughs> you know. Uh, in, in enterprise sales for, or you know, within large uh, corporates or within the industry that they're trying to disrupt for 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah. Um, so we're finding in the deep tech space, there are a good number of very energetic founders uh, that are you know, maybe hitting 40 uh, on average mm. or mm. as a median, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we have some very young founders and you know, uh, more experienced founders as well. But we're finding that at, at the age of 40, you have, Folks that have great industry experience have the energy and want to go out and, and really make a difference to uh, change completely the industry that yeah. they've been deep in for a long time. And they understand the industry and they understand how to sell to the end, end customer, uh, to the enterprises and the SMEs. Uh, so there's a lot more such people I find that are, like I said, as ugly and old as I am, that are starting to make this transition for themselves. Uh, and I find that that helps also bring a certain stability you know, yeah. 
they know how to manage people yeah. for fast growth as well. Um, and, and so it's a different mindset. Uh, don't get me wrong, there are young people with, with great energy and, and great uh, uh, technologies that you know, have come up with ideas that no one had, had thought of before that yeah. are PhD students. And you know, there, there are some that, can, that know how to break into uh, well-established markets as well and we back them as well. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I just wanted to clear the misconception that there aren't enough very strong technology folks that have the industry experience that are coming out. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I I, I love to add, or the whole team, uh, Elevate's team, loves to add value to what the founders are bringing in, what the entrepreneurs are bringing in. It is their baby, and it is their blood, toil, sweat, and they are putting in the time and their experience. And where we can, we like to you know add to that. Um, but or and I should say, you know, a, a good number of our portfolio companies come with uh you know with a few gray hair themselves <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is uh, which is beautiful which is beautiful uh, uh i did uh final question final question of the interview um of course i mean uh again i can i can say this many times but i'm just always impressed by you know like this type of journey that you've that you've walked uh, and uh, you know as an, as an engineer as a, as a craftsman uh now backing other craftsmen and craftswomen uh, with with not just uh, with not just the mental support and the coaching support, but actually with gunpowder helping them create new industries, is is amazing, and I applaud you for that. But 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 Adit, I wanna uh, I want you to go with me. Uh, you need to imagine now a, a, a day uh, far far away into the, the future, and um, I'm not quite sure what search engine is available at that day. But let's just assume there is a search engine. There is a search engine, and I I search for uh, Aditya Matur and. Uh, there's nothing I can find on the Elevate website. Uh, there's nothing I can find on LinkedIn. Um, and if I look on the search engine, I actually only find three bullet points. And these three bullet points, they represent, they represent the life lessons that Aditya wants to be remembered by. What would those three bullet points say? Wow, Andrew, that's, that's a great question. <laughs> How much time do you have to think about this one? <laughs> this is what, what's on your heart right now. What's on your heart? <laughs> Well, one, I would say um, I wish Elevate is remembered for creating uh, an incredible deep tech ecosystem out here in Singapore, based out of Singapore, uh, you know, born and bred out of Singapore as, as a fund. Um, I would say part two, uh, that we've had the opportunity to uh, back some of the most visionary founders that can execute in, you know, in crafts that haven't even been thought of yet. Uh, that's that's my hope and dream. And uh, and third, um, and, and you know, this drives us in a big way as well, is uh, to have created, and I know we've touched upon this at various points of our discussion, Andrew, but the third, which is very, very important to, to me personally, is to have created new industries that significantly impact the world, not just with, uh, with uh, you know, from an SDG perspective, but also from a jobs perspective and from, you know, creating completely new uh, scales of economies that uh, never existed before. Um, if, if I can achieve these three and especially the third, um, or if Elevate can, can achieve these three and especially the third, um, I, I will be a happily dead man. 
uh, that's uh, that's a nice uh, nice point to uh, to find uh, finalize the interview with uh, Adit. Uh, it is a pleasure. It was a pleasure to to catch up and uh, to learn uh, from your journey. I'm excited about uh, where Elevate is going. Uh, excited for the new fund, which is going to be launched in Q1 uh, next year. And, you know, if any uh, scientists, entrepreneurs are listening, uh, you know, deep tech entrepreneurs, uh, elevate.vc, uh, elevate with an eight uh, uh, there in the in the URL, reach out to Adit. I'll put your uh, LinkedIn and the website in the show notes. But I want to thank you so much for sharing. Really appreciate it. And I hope to see you soon. Thanks so much, Adit. Likewise, Andrew. I'm looking forward to the coffee in Bali soon. Yes, yes, yes. All right, we'll talk soon. Thank you so much for listening to the Masters of Cashflow podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then please share this with a friend that you think would be inspired. And I'd really appreciate if you can leave a rating and review on Apple and let me know what your biggest takeaway is of this episode. I want to leave you with this final thought. My mentor once told me, rejection is the first thing you learn in entrepreneurship. And I truly believe that how you handle rejections will determine how high you will go. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. And I hope to see you in the next episode.